So a couple of weeks ago, I tried to help us understand what it really means to be saved. A lot of times our idea of being saved relates to the afterlife, and that's all. But what I try to help you to understand is being saved, first and foremost, is being saved out of this world, being saved from this corrupt world, that that was the Apostle Peter's first sermon and how it concluded. He said, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. But the way a lot of people think of it, they just kind of think of salvation as being something that is at the end. But you and I have a lot to do before the end, amen? I pray you're around for a while. Hopefully you're, you're planning on it, aren't you? All right, we need, to, we need to prepare for the end. And the only way to do that is to follow Jesus. So I want to say this, and this might sound weird, but, but just hang in here with me. The way a lot of people think of salvation, because they think of it as just kind of being a, a, a get-out-of-hell-free card, um, I'm going to say this with that in mind, with the way a lot of people think of salvation. Jesus doesn't first call you to be saved. He first calls you to be a disciple. He first calls you to be a follower. Now, if you understand what I taught you and what the New Testament teaches about salvation several weeks ago, you will understand that that is a call to be saved. It is also a call to be a saint. It is a call to be holy. But we don't have to work all that out in our own mind All we need to do is follow Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't calling you to be religious. Amen? Jesus isn't calling you first and foremost to be a member of a denomination or even a particular church. Although, if you follow Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus in a company of people. And that is what we call a church, a community, a congregation. Okay? But first and foremost, Jesus is calling you out of the world to follow him. Listen to the call of the first disciples. This is Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the same as the Sea of Galilee, just another name for it, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. They were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And this is the verse that serves as the theme for the message today. So they pulled up their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. You see, Jesus isn't going to come into your life and add 
his reputation to whatever it is that you're doing. Jesus doesn't come to you and follow you around like a concierge, okay? Oh, how may I help you today, sir? What prayers may I answer for you today, sir? Are you asking them in my name, by the way? That's not what he does. Jesus calls you to pull up stakes and follow him. That means you give away everything. You give away your hopes. You give away your self-esteem. You give away your dreams. And you find that he replaces those with things that are better. Sometimes it's the same dream, but he shows you the way he wants you to attain it or achieve it or receive it. Sometimes it's completely different. I've made mention of this in recent days to you guys. I didn't originally think I was going to be a preacher. That's not what I wanted to do. I kind of thought of preachers as being sort of religious people that wore suits and um, did things that I would never do. I, I was always too intimidated to stand in front of a group of people. I was too worried about what they thought of me. But you know, my, my grandmother on my mom's side believed that I was going to be a preacher when I was only five years old. I have, I have one really, really happy memory. I have more than that, but I have one that sticks out. Um, of, uh, of being at my grandmother's house. She had one of those old frame houses, a lot like the ones that you see over here uh, in uh, downtown Garland, the, the pier and beam house. I don't know if hers was pier and beam, but I remember it looked a lot like these houses over here. And um, I remember that I was sleeping on the pullout sofa, and I just had this, I don't even remember the, the nature of the dream. It just made me laugh. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Just woke up at her house, just happy and just laughing, laughing, laughing. And I remember somewhere around that time, and it might have been that time, she said, you're going to be a preacher. And that's just the furthest thing that, you know, from what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. I mean, when I was five, I have no idea what I wanted to be. Probably a fireman like a lot of five-year-olds, right? Or a cowboy. I liked to wear cowboy boots and hats back then, all right? But when I... Uh, got to be a teenager. In fact, Aubrey, when I was your age, I was a royal mess. Are you a mess? No. See, you're a good student and all of that stuff. I was really smart, like you are, except I didn't try because I just didn't care. See, you've got a mom, you've got a stepdad, they're in there, they're fighting for you, they love you, they're trying to lead you the right direction. My mom tried, she was doing her best, but I was a mess. And I won't get into all the details of the, the ridiculous things that I was doing as a teenager her age, but uh, I don't, I, it wasn't, wasn't a great age for me. It really, really wasn't. Suffice it to say that I got into so much trouble, was dealing with such, so many catastrophes that I had brought onto myself, bad grades and uh, fear all the time and uh, going outside the law, we'll just put it that way, not, not living the way I should have lived. And I saw a church broadcast its services on television. And, uh, you know, back then there were five channels that we could watch. And one of them was the local station. And it was Channel 5, KPHO Channel 5 in Phoenix, Arizona. And I got up on Sunday morning, not too terribly early, but I think that church's services start about when we put ours on YouTube, like long about 11 o'clock. And I just watched the church service. Now, that same grandmother who told me that one day I would be a preacher used to send all sorts of magazines and, and all sorts of information from various ministries. In fact, I knew about CFNI here in Dallas uh, long before I ever came to Dallas because my grandmother was Assemblies of God, and she used to send me magazines from CFNI. They're, they're, you know, they go all the way back. And um, so uh, I was watching this church, and, and what I 
was impressed with was the fact that when the preacher preached, he seemed to be preaching to me. And he was preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And I had this idea, and maybe you have this idea, I don't know, that religion, uh, God, meant morality, doing what's right. And until you did what you were supposed to do, then God wasn't going to have anything to do with you. Well, I, I was a typical teenager at that time. You know, my mind wasn't where it should have been. It wasn't, wasn't very pure. Um, and, you know, I was dealing with all these things, and I thought, I will never be good enough for God. I'm never going to be clean enough for God. But the good news about the gospel is Jesus Christ accepts you just as you are. In fact, that's the song they sang at the end of the service. Just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. So I told my mom, I want to go to that church. Because the other thing that impressed me was the service ended and they never asked for money. Well, you know, even some of these preachers that were more legitimate that uh, my grandmother sent me information about, they asked for money all the time. You get a magazine from this one, that one, or the other one, they were asking you for money the entire time. We've got to fund our ministry. We've got to fund our TV ministry. We've got to fund our radio ministry. We've got to fund, got to fund, got to fund. Money, 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 money. And, you know, I, I might have been only 14, but I was a pretty smart 14-year-old, and I was street smart enough, wise enough to realize that if the preacher is just sitting around asking you for money for about half the time, that's pretty much what he's in it for. And this guy's name was Pastor Richard Jackson, and he just preached the gospel. Their choir song, right? Now, our ladies are, are amazing. Our band is amazing. But this was an old-school choir, like 150 people in the choir. And, uh, you know, so I told my mom I wanted to go to that church. Well, she got burned out when she went, was younger. She didn't go to church. She didn't really like it too much. And, but she really wanted to get me there, so she was, you know, willing to take me. And uh, so we drove up Central Avenue, and we came to this one church, and she drove into the parking lot. And it didn't look like the outside of the church that they always showed right before the service started of the North Phoenix Baptist Church, which is, you know, that's the one that I wanted to go to. My mom, I can still remember this. She pulled in the parking lot. She said, well, just go to this one. And I said, no, I'm not going to that one. That's not the one. So I'm sure she was somewhat exasperated. She pulled out of the parking lot, went a little further uh, south on Central Avenue, and sure enough, there was, oh, that's it, that's it, Mom, that's it, because it had kind of a unique shape to it, right? Now, interestingly, before I started going there, they changed to another building, and it was much bigger. But the point is that this is where God called me. This is how God called me, and you have a call, too, at least if you're paying attention. And you have a God story, too. The, the, the Lord is sending his word out. And so here's the call of these disciples right here. My call started as a result of, uh, of watching. It really started before that. Uh, I, I remember watching Billy Graham on TV. Yeah, you all know who Billy Graham is? All right. He was an evangelist, preached to millions of people. And uh, had a lot of integrity. And another guy that I was impressed with. And he always preached the gospel. He always preached Jesus loves you. And he loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. You know, and he would invite people to come down from these stadiums where he preached, and people would come down, and they would give their lives to Jesus. I wanted to do that. I really did want to do that. And when he would pray the sinner's prayer, uh, this is Billy Graham at the end, I would always pray with him, but I knew that there was something missing. I still needed to respond. I needed to, I needed to do something to seal the deal, if you will. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't honor my faith, the prayer that I prayed, but I'm saying that I needed to do something else not to earn salvation, right, but to demonstrate that I really did have faith. So what they did in that church, that is the North Phoenix Baptist Church, is the same thing that they did at Billy Graham Crusades. They would invite people to come down after the service. 
And this was a big church, and it was televised. And when I first started going to uh, that church, it was in a smaller building, and it was jam-packed. And they didn't have a regular balcony. They had these two balconies that were on the sides, I remember. And I didn't want to go down and try to find a seat down with everybody else, so I just climbed up in the balcony over on the side, and I sat up here. So it would be like if there was a balcony right up here where this screen is, looking down on this stage. In fact, uh, except with the orientation of the... Yeah, no, no, that would be right. I would have been on that side if it was the same orientation. So I'm looking down at the preacher like this, and I remember he would, you know, he would be preaching, and he would preach, and I would think, is he looking at me? Is he saying that to me? You know what? It didn't matter whether he was intentionally seeing me as a visitor in his huge church. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me. The Holy Spirit was calling me. The Holy Spirit was prompting me. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you this morning? You've got to listen past me. You've got to get past my whatever, my delivery, right? I, God is just using a personality. He, could, you know, he, he used a donkey to talk to a, a prophet in the Old Testament, so he can use me to talk to you, and I think I'm better than a donkey, right? But that's where the call originated, right? The, the Lord spoke through Pastor Jackson. Here's the call, and the call was come to me. The call was follow me. Now, I did want to be saved. I did want to be forgiven of my sins. And I recognized that I had many sins. If there's a singular fault today, it's that people don't believe that they sin anymore. People justify their sin. People think that whatever they do is okay. It's not. The, the Bible gives a clear definition of what's right and wrong. You don't get to make it up as you go along. The culture doesn't get to make it up. We have a culture that's becoming anti-Christ in its orientation. Not just, you know, oh, well, we don't care about Jesus and religion and all that. No, anti-Christ. Now, I don't want to get into specific issues because people want to get into fights over all these issues. I'm just going to tell you, the Bible's right. And if you are not right with God, then you're going to be in opposition to the Bible, even if you're sitting in church. And there are churches that are not preaching the Bible anymore. They're preaching the culture. All they're doing is they are, they're enculturating you. And this is why I appreciate so much that we have teachers in this church that I know who love Jesus, but they know I'm right. When they look at the school system and they see that the, the school system is enculturating your children as well. Now, I'm not going to get in. Again, I don't want to get into politics and specific details. What I want to do is I want to give you the overall call. You need to hear this call. And if you've come to church for many years and if at some point in time you've surrendered your life to Jesus or you've prayed a sinner's prayer like I had on many occasions uh, up until the point that I started going to that church, um, you might need to take the next step. So here was the next step for me. Um, they always gave that invitation at the end and I was always too scared to go forward because they, it was a TV church, man. So... I, you know, this is one of the reasons why I spend all this time and effort and energy and exasperation on this technology so that I, I can get us out there, so I can get us out there on YouTube, uh, I can get us out there on Facebook, because that's how I found Jesus. You know, I hope if you are a believer that you tell people about your faith, because they may act like they don't want to know, but they need to know. They really need to know. And, you know, after I, 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 I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but after I responded to the call, gave my life to Jesus, I started getting just really open about it and telling people about it. And suddenly all these Christians crawled out of the woodwork. These people that had grown up with me, that could have told me about Jesus and never said a word to me about Jesus, and I was dying in my sin, and I was hurting. 
And all they cared about was themselves. They weren't bad people. They weren't mean people. They just didn't care about the gospel that they had supposedly accepted, received. People need to hear about Jesus. And, you know, for those of you in this room, if you're not sharing the gospel, you need to. And if you are, and the people you're sharing with are not receptive, it's okay. Just love on them and move on to the next person. Keep the door open for those folks, but just love those people, move on to the next people. The Lord told me a long time ago, don't throw your pearls before swine, right? Don't, don't sow among thorns. In other words, if you're going to plant a garden, you don't go over uh, and, and plant it in, 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 with a bunch of weeds. You can say, oh, there, you know, those weeds are growing real well over there. That must be good soil. Here, I'm just going to plant my seed over there. A lot of times, that's the people that we're sharing the gospel with. It's just sowing among thorns. We're just sowing to the weeds. And we're going to share the gospel with everybody. What we're going to see if I get to it here is that um, there was another disciple here that was called that looked like he was the most unlikely person in the world that would listen to the gospel. You can't judge. You don't know who's going to receive. You may think, oh, they're too hoity-toity. They're too rich. They're not going to listen to me. You might think, oh, man, they're never going to listen to me. They're too hardcore. Whatever you think. You just need to be the vessel that the, the Lord uses. And lest you think that I've departed too far from the text, I want you to notice that the last thing that Jesus said here to them, last thing he said before they pulled up their nets and left everything and followed him was, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. That's what you're out there to do. You're out there to fish for people. People need to hear the gospel. And the gospel's not a Twitter fight. The gospel's not, a, you know, a social media battle, Right? I, I've just checked out of that, man. I'm, I'm putting some scripture on there and occasionally put, throwing some stuff on there. But I've just checked out of that. I want to talk to people, right? I want to talk to real people. I want to talk to you. Because what I found is people are a whole lot nicer when you just talk to them face-to-face. When they get online, they turn into real kind of mean people, right? Talk to people face-to-face, and they're a whole lot more likely to... You know, we, we've turned into this country that, that we just think that everybody's against everybody. But, you know, if you just talk to people... It's not so much that way. In fact, you can kind of come to middle ground and you can talk about things and you can agree to disagree on certain points. But when we're online, it's like, no, my way, I'm right. Me and my people, me and my party, us, we're right, you're wrong, right? And it's not even enough to do that. It's no, you're evil. It's not just that I don't agree with you, you're evil. No, let's just love people, amen? Let's just love people. So... um, Easter Sunday, when I turned 16, I'd gotten my driver's license. Man, I I needed the freedom, okay? 15 years old and seven months, you could get your permit. I had my permit. 16 years old, you could get your driver's license. I had my driver's license. I was ready to get on and get going, right? Zooming ahead, 17, got kicked out of the house. Good thing I could drive, right? But I was 16 years old, Easter Sunday, I planned to respond publicly to the call. I needed to do something about it. It wasn't something that was going to be hidden down here. I've prayed this prayer a few times. No, this was public. These disciples gave up their livelihood, and they were not poor. These fishermen did pretty well. Now, they didn't do well the night before. They didn't catch anything, and that probably was rare for them. But isn't it interesting that on probably the, the most prosperous fishing voyage that they had ever been on, which maybe lasted 10 or 15 minutes, when they pulled in more fish than at any other time, that was the point they decided to give up? 
because they recognize it ain't about the fish. It's not about the money. It's about Jesus. We want to follow him. We want to follow him no matter what. And they did no matter what, because every one of these disciples, except for John, ended up giving their lives for Jesus. And I mean, as in they were martyred. They died for Jesus. But Jesus calls you up front, total commitment. He says, no, I want you. I want all of you. I don't want halfway. I want everything you've got. You say, well, I don't have much. It doesn't matter. He wants everything you've got. He wants all of you. That's why we say we give Jesus our heart. That's the center of you, your heart. That's what he wants. Jesus isn't coming along to do your bidding. We call him Lord. In fact, in order to get saved, you have to say Jesus is what? Lord means he's the boss. He's in control. He's in charge. In fact, in the context, that was the word that they used to refer to God because they didn't, that is the Jewish people, didn't want to pronounce his name. They didn't want to violate the second commandment, which says don't use the Lord's name in vain. So they just didn't say his name at all. They said, we don't want to accidentally say it, you know, and not mean it. So they just called him Lord, Adonai. And in fact, the, uh, almost every English translation of the Bible when God's name, which is actually, uh, in Hebrew, it's, it's, it's four consonants, yod heh vav heh We think it is likely pronounced Yahweh. But they didn't want to say it. So every time you see yod heh vav heh in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it's the word Lord. But you'll notice in most English translations, it's capital L and then lowercase capital O, lowercase capital R, lowercase capital D. It's signaling you, and if you look in the notes at the beginning of the translation, you'll see I'm correct. It's signaling you, this is not just Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. This is God's actual name. We call it the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh. So Lord was what they were accustomed to calling God. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's the boss. We're saying he's the master. We're saying he's in charge. We're saying he's God, amen? Now, if you understand who God is, nobody ever came into the presence of God without bowing. And it wasn't one of those things like, okay, uh, you know, this, uh, this government official is coming and I'm supposed to, you know, dress a certain way or I've got to go see the judge so I better put on some nice clothes and I better act nice and whatever. This wasn't a, well, you better do it type of a thing. This is, you automatically respond that way when you come into the presence of God. When you come into the presence of God, you fall on your face. That's just the way it is. Because you recognize he's everything and you're nothing. You say, well, I don't know if I do that. No, you, you will do that. In fact, Jesus said, in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus. You will. You can bow now and be saved. Amen? Or you can bow later to your everlasting condemnation, but you're going to bow. That's what people do when they come into the presence of God. They bow. What happened when Peter saw that he was getting such an, an incredible catch? Did, did you remember what it said there? When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled up both boats so full that they began to sink. Listen to Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You know what he knew 
Fundamentally, he knew that he didn't believe. Remember what Peter had said? Lord, we've worked all night. You know, I know you're a preacher, and you got some wonderful things to say, but you're not the fisherman. I'm just, I'm adding here, this could have been going through his mind. But I just listened to you, and I respect you, and so even though we've pulled in our nets, and we've cleaned our nets, and we've mended our nets, just because you say so, we're going to go back out, and we'll throw them in the water real quick, just so you can see that we're right and you're wrong. And all of a sudden, fish just started swimming and swimming and filling those nets so much that they couldn't even pick them up. And then they pulled so many into their boats, their boats started. Peter recognized, I'm a sinful man. Nobody gets into the presence of God without recognizing that. You or I, no matter how long we've been in church, no matter how much we've been trying to keep our noses clean and do what's right, we recognize we're sinful. Now, if you compare yourself to other people, you may feel pretty good. But that's not who we're comparing you to. You're comparing yourself to the sinless son of God. And when I get before the sinless son of God, I recognize there's so many things wrong with me, I can't even count them. And so all I can do is throw myself on his mercy, and that's what, that's what Peter did here, right? Well, from the time I was Aubrey's age here, 14 until 16, when I finally gave my life to Jesus, I heard the gospel on various occasions. I went to that church a few times. Uh, I listened to a few things on TV, but I heard the, the genuine gospel. You need to come to Jesus. Jesus died to save you. He gave his life for you. And it's not about what you do for him, but what he did for you. That's what matters. That's the gospel. That's grace. That's the good news. That's why it's good news. It's not work your way up into heaven. Jacob's ladder wasn't so Jacob could climb up into heaven. Jacob's ladder was so the angels could come down and show him God. God comes down to you. You can't climb up to him. You're not going to get good enough for God. You're never going to be good enough for God. It's just not going to happen. Well, I finally figured that out. After I listened to this preacher so many times and he preached the gospel, he said, you know, if you could be good enough for Jesus, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for you. And I thought, well, duh, why didn't I think of that? Why did Jesus die for me? He died for me because I deserve to die. And I deserve to die because the wages of sin is death. The price that I owe for sin is death. It took me a while to figure that out. Again, I went to that church a few times from between 14 and 16, but at 16, I decided this is what I'm going to do. So I put on my disco clothes because that's how we dressed back then, and I sat on the edge of the aisle, and I waited. Don't even know what the preacher preached that morning because I had one goal in mind. I had one idea in my head. I'm waiting until the invitation, and I'm going to boogie down the aisle. And we did boogie back then. Now, this is a pretty traditional church. So they, you know, they didn't play disco fever or anything like that, or I, I could have come up the aisle. I was wearing three-inch platform heels. No, that was not a girly thing. You need to go watch Saturday Night, Live, uh, Saturday Night Fever. Actually, don't watch it. It's got some bad stuff in it. Just look at, some, look at some pictures of it or something like that. John Travolta, man, that's where he you know, was first discovered, really. Uh, well, that, welcome back, Carter. He was in Welcome Back, Carter. I forgot that. But anyway, so I went down the aisle, and I shook this fellow's hand, and it turned out it was the youth minister. He was good to me. That, that man was good to me. He taught me uh, during the time he was there, and I appreciate him so much. He's gone on to meet the Lord now. But, yeah, I, I responded to the call, but it took me a while to get up the courage to do something about it. Faith means that you believe something enough that you're willing to do something about it. You don't just sit around and do nothing. Jesus said, 
Put up your nets. Come follow me. Abandon it all for the sake of the call. Come follow me. Now, if you're capable of hearing me this morning, or I should say, if you're capable of hearing the Holy Spirit this morning, now, what would make you capable? Well, you, you, you have to have a compliant heart. You have, to be, you have to have a willingness. And I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you're paying attention online right now. I don't, you, people have different motives. I don't know why. But I suspect that the Lord led me to preach this message for a reason. And I suspect that you are here for that reason. Are you willing to abandon it all for the sake of the call? And the call is not to be religious it's not to join a church, although you'll become a part of a community. It's to follow Jesus. In fact, as I said before, the way we normally define salvation, the call is not just to be saved so I can go to heaven in the end and I'll just live my life the way I want to live my life for now. No, the, the call is to be saved from this corrupt generation. The call is to be saved out of the world and be looking toward your new citizenship in heaven and recognize that you are now in Christ a part of God's kingdom. In fact, even more than that, you're one of his children. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. Amen? He's calling you. It's not about salvation. It's not about Catholic or Baptist or assemblies or Methodist or whatever your flavor. It's not about other, you know, maybe your flavor is another religion. It's Mormon or, or Jehovah's Witness or, or Islam. or It's not about any of that. It's about following Jesus. But it's also about following Jesus to the cross, by the way. Wait a minute. I should have said that differently. It's about following Jesus through the cross. Because Jesus didn't stop at the cross. If the crucifixion was all that Jesus did then we'd still be in trouble. Jesus conquered death. Jesus went through the cross and went down into the grave and rose on the third day. And that's why we can still talk to him. That's why he's the real deal. That's why he destroyed your worst enemy. I don't know who you think your worst enemy is or what you think your worst enemy is, but I'm going to tell you what your worst enemy is. Your worst enemy is death. Oh, death is a friend and it will come and close my... No, death is not your friend. You are out of your mind. Death is not your friend. Death is a curse. God didn't create human beings to die. Did you know that? God put them in the garden, and, you know, people beef on the fact that in the garden, here was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they weren't permitted to eat of that tree. Hmm, well, what was God trying to hold back from them? That's, that's what Satan said anyway. God put a tree of life in the garden so as long as they ate that fruit, they could go on living forever. The reason why we're separated from God and separated from that garden is to be separated from an eternity walking death, an eternity walking like a zombie, an eternity separated from God and life and love, an eternity of corruption and deterioration. The curse came down on human beings because human beings sin, and the soul that sins will surely die. And God told Adam, if you eat the fruit of that tree over there, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you are going to die. Now, it wasn't poison. They didn't eat it and drop dead right there in the Garden of Eden, or there would be no human beings. In fact, they lived on a long time, but they lived on a long time by the sweat of their own brow, separated from God, doing it on their own. Does it sound like you at all? Maybe you're, you're making it right now. Maybe you're not. Maybe you got some money in the bank. Maybe you got nothing in the bank. Maybe you got a home. Maybe you don't have a home. Maybe your kids are, are good and they're obeying you. Maybe they're not. 
But I'm telling you, without God, we're, we're a disaster. We're a mess. We weren't, we weren't created to live this life on our own, by ourselves. We were created to live in fellowship with God. That you've got to get reconnected with him. And that's what this is all about. So Jesus, God in skin, God came as a human being. So you'd have a point of reference because God is so much beyond you and I. We can't even imagine God. We do, that's not even, you don't even know. I don't even know. He's so far beyond us. He's so powerful. Look at the stars. And the problem is we're, we're in the city and we can't even see the stars anymore. Just look at the stars. There are trillions of stars. God created them. In fact, you know the scripture says God has a name for all of them? Gracious. That's just the... The universe is so vast, and that's the God we're talking about. I, you know what? I, yeah, I don't understand that God at all. But Jesus makes him understandable. Jesus came to earth and lived as a Galilean peasant, essentially, as a worker. We think of Jesus as being a carpenter. But you know, the word that is often translated carpenter really means hand worker. And there wasn't a lot of wood in the region where Jesus was. It was primarily stone. He was probably, he just worked with his hands. He was just a hardworking man. He was a contractor. That's what Jesus was. That's what Joseph was. Did they make stuff out of wood? Sure. Did they make stuff out of stone? Sure. Did they do other projects? Sure. They were hardworking men. That's what they were. Jesus came and became one of us, right? And then he died, the death that you and I deserve, to rise so that we can receive his resurrected life. Amen? But first, he calls you to follow him. He's calling you to be a disciple. Now, there's a scripture that is often quoted over in John chapter 8. People quote it out of context all the time. They say, the truth shall make you free. Have you ever heard that? The truth shall make you free. How many of y'all have heard that? Yep. The truth might not make you free. It depends on what your alignment is to the truth. But that's not what that scripture says. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you are truly my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. Amen? You don't get the truth that sets you free until you're willing to follow Jesus and hold on. He said, unless you hold to my teaching. I know plenty of people that have grown up in church and just walked away from Jesus. I can't figure it out. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't come to Jesus, as I told you, until I was a teenager. The people that grow up in church and they just say, oh, I'm an atheist now. I don't get it. I'm not trying to be mean. I just don't get it. It would be like, to me, it would be like saying, you know what? I used to have a mother, but I don't have a mother anymore. I don't, I don't believe in my mother anymore. I, don't be, I just believe that I came into the earth by myself without a mother. No, I, I know my mom. She's a real person, okay? I had interaction with her. Some of it good and some of it not so good. But she's real. I can't deny her. If you really know God, you can't turn around and say, oh, well, I'm an atheist now. That just shows me that you were a cultural Christian to begin with. And it might have been church culture, or it might have been the culture that once went along with Christianity. But once you know God, you can't deny God. Amen? You can disagree with him. There's plenty of times that I just really don't like how God does things. But again, I realize that I'm not him, and I don't want the job. But I chose to follow Jesus when I was 16 years old. One year later, in the same church, 
I did what my grandmother said, and I responded to a call to preach the gospel. Now, although that happened a year later, that was just a realization on my part. That wasn't really, to be honest with you, that wasn't even a separate decision. I thought it was at the time, but it really wasn't a separate decision. When I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to everything. When you say yes to Jesus, you, you say yes to everything. You say yes to the career that he's called you to. You say yes to the spouse he's called you to or not called you to. You say yes to the children he's called you to raise or not called you to raise. And I don't mean moms, hey, I'm sick of this child. I'm not raising them anymore. <laughs> I, listen, I tell parents all the time, God has uniquely anointed you to raise those kids. That's why you get to do it. They are your challenge, okay? But I want you to understand that this is a lifelong process. Discipleship, we call it. So listen to what Jesus said He's, Jesus started getting really popular. A lot of people liked what he was saying. He was doing some miracles. He was feeding people from nothing, basically. He was casting demons out of people, right? And uh, rather than, you know, keep from offending people, Jesus chose to be more offensive. Listen to what he said. Um... He asked specifically his disciples, these that he called aside to follow him most closely, the 12. This is chapter 9 of Luke, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who do crowds say that Jesus is today? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others that one of the prophets long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? That's the most important question for you this morning. Who do you say Jesus is? I have people who come to me all the time, they want to be baptized. And people come to me want to join our church. I ask everybody that exact same question. Who is Jesus to you? There was a 12-year-old boy one time in my church, First Baptist Church. No, it was uh, Freeman Heights Baptist Church. I've been to too many Baptist churches. Freeman Heights Baptist Church. I'm about to take the teenagers on their very first ski trip. And there's this 12-year-old boy, and he is down in the mouth. His girlfriend, or the person that he called his girlfriend, was just not treating him right, and he was sad. So I started talking to him about it. I said, well, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Now, this boy had been raised in church. His mom had told me that he used to buttonhole people in the backyard and say, are you saved, and try to get them saved. But I asked him the same question that I've asked every person that I really have ever met when I ask them about Jesus. I said, who is Jesus to you? And he just wasn't totally sure. So I said, let's make that right right here. I put my arm around him, and we knelt at the stage of Freeman Heights Baptist Church late on a Sunday night before we went out on that ski trip. And he prayed. You don't know what his name was? That was Craig Wilson. 
What I'm telling you is I ask everybody that question because that's the question that God wants you to answer. Who is Jesus to you? You don't get in on your parents' credit. Grandpa may have been a preacher. You may have been raised in church. That's not how you get in. You get in because you say who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen? I say who is Jesus to you. That's a personal question. You answer it however you want, but that doesn't mean you're right. If Jesus to me is a great teacher, that's, he is a great teacher, but I've fallen short, and that won't save me. If Jesus to me is a miracle worker, if Jesus to me is a historical figure, if Jesus to me is a myth, those are, those are all either half-truths or not truth at all, and none of them will get me saved. In order for me to be saved, I have to answer, Jesus is the Son of God. Peter answered, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the longer response to this is found in Matthew. Jesus said, Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Simon, but my Father who is in heaven. Is that being revealed to you this morning? Or are you just hearing me like all of the kids on Charlie Brown hear the adults? Yeah, I want, I want, I want, I want. Preacher, 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 preacher. Or is it getting through to you this morning? The Lord is calling you if you can hear his voice. He's calling you to abandon it all for the sake of the call and to follow Jesus. Just exactly like these disciples. But listen. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. This morning, are you willing to abandon it all for the sake of the call? You're going to give up something that you can't hang on to to get something that you cannot lose. Amen? It's kind of a rephrasing of something Jim Elliott said. Jim Elliott, who died as a martyr uh, at the hands of, uh, of some natives in Brazil, natives who later became Christians because of his testimony. He said, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But friend, you are a fool if you think your tiny little life is worth hanging on to at the expense of eternal life and giving yourself to Jesus. I'm not being mean to you. You are a fool. Give your life completely to Jesus. Choose to follow him every day, every moment of every day, and recognize that that involves Denying yourself, taking up your cross. And your cross, that's kind of been labeled as something this morning. Oh, I got my cross to bear, like it's some burden that's your personal burden. No, it's death. It's death to self. It's following Jesus through the cross to resurrection life. That's what I'm calling you to do this morning. I'm calling you to do what the disciples were called to do. I'm calling you to abandon it all for the sake of the call. I'm calling you to give up everything your life, your dreams, your self-esteems to follow Jesus. All you have to do is put it on the altar and say, Lord, if you want to take it away, take it away. If you want to give it back and give me direction, give it back. But I choose to follow you.